Good afternoon, everyone. This is Marjorie Papp Steinmetz, and this is Caregiver Speak. I am so delighted to um, welcome back two wonderful guests who've been on our show before, Dr. Barry Jacobs and Dr. Julia Mayer, who are both clinical psychologists, and by the way, they are also married, and they're the co-authors of AARP Meditations for Caregivers, Practical, Emotional, and Spiritual Support for You and Your Family. And that book was published in 2016 by DACAPO, D-A-C-A-P-O. And um, Julie and Barry always bring us such amazing substance and wisdom uh, for caregiving. So this particular book uh, that I mentioned, the AAR Meditations, this book tells stories and stories, as we know, are the best lessons. Um, and they're stories of nearly 150 caregivers who struggled to find caregiving's potential positive rewards. Um, Barry and Julie have been on the show before, and I would invite you to go to eCare Diaries and or mycaregivingcoach.com, um, the archives, and either one of those websites for a number of different of the other shows they've done, uh, such topics as forgiveness and gratitude, caregiver happiness, uh, spousal roles during caregiving. Um, today, our topic is the five best ways to manage your caregiving marathon, and um, and specifically about caregiver happiness. Dr. Jacobs, Dr. Barry Jacobs, writes for. AARP.org and the Huffington Post. You can find his work there. Uh, Dr. Julie Mayer practices in Medea, Pennsylvania, where she specializes in women's relationship issues, including family caregiving. So they bring so much to what we can learn from them. And today we thought we'd have some fun in uh, having like a countdown of the five specific ways to manage this caregiving caregiving uh, marathon and to achieve success. So welcome, Barry and Julie, to the show once again. Thank you so much, Marjorie. It's wonderful to be back. Thanks for having us. Oh, it's great for you to be with us. So let me start with you, Julie. What does a successful caregiver look like? What does that mean? What, what if we thought in action, what would it look like? Well, I I suppose it's someone who can accept the limits of her ability in terms of care. She doesn't have to be perfect. She makes time for herself. She keeps other relationships going. Maybe it's someone who can keep her caregiver mission going as long as necessary or desired by managing her stress and her time, um, feeling like she's doing a good enough job, for as long as she can, as long as she wants to, as long as she needs to. Yeah, and that, you know, that part about for as long as uh, the caregiver can or needs to, that leads us back to that marathon. And as you all know, we all know, uh, dealing with chronic illness is going to become more and more of an issue. So that marathon aspect, staying, mm -hmm. keeping it going, and staying as low stress as possible is so so important. That's the challenge, so, and it's a tough one. 
It is a tough one. And hopefully um, our five uh, tips for caregiver success today will help us with that marathon and keeping it going and keeping oneself going in a good way, not just keeping oneself going, but in quality of life way. So, um, Barry, let's start the countdown with uh, identifying the number five position of caregiver success. And tell us about that, supporting others. Uh, sure. So, um, and Julie and I use the marathon metaphor um, at, at, with clients and in our work because it, you know people can visualize it and uh, relate to, to, to the metaphor, even if they're not runners. Uh, so uh, the idea of supporting others means that um, when we're when we're in a helping position, helping others, it's often very gratifying to us. And if you think about uh, running a race um, and Running, having people alongside you, maybe some of whom are struggling, and and by giving them a little encouragement or running along with them for part of the way, you know, we pick them up a little bit. That that is um, meaningful to us. That that uh, makes our our journey a little bit lighter, a little bit easier. Um, so that that's one way to run a marathon to to help others, uh, and uh, it's also one way uh, to to deal with caregiving. Uh, that caregivers who um, are not just focused on the care receiver, but are, are focused on helping other caregivers, uh, maybe in the context of a support group or um, giving others advice. Um, I mean, along the way, caregivers learn a lot um, about how to manage meds and how to deal with uh, behaviors. Um, and they, they, are, uh, they can take that knowledge and use it to help others. And that is making positive meaning of, of their caregiving experience. Absolutely. I mean, it's a, you know, they, it's a sense of empowerment, really, if you can share your knowledge and say, well, I'm really pretty good at this. And it does fuel you for the road uh, that's continuing. And so, absolutely, helping someone else. I know a lot of caregivers who go and are in support groups, as you suggest, helping other people while they're caregiving at home. And it does uh, support you as well as other people. So, so Julie, um, what comes in at number four uh, in our caregiving countdown? Number four is gathering information. So gathering information is all about helping yourself as a caregiver to learn as much as possible about what you're caring for, what your care receiver um, will look like down the road, how whatever illness they may have might progress. Um, so learning as much as possible about what's going on so that you can plan and not take things personally. Sometimes care receivers can lash out, they can have behavior changes or um, become impulsive. And if that is something that you've learned is a part of the process of this disease that they may have, like dementia, for example, then the caregiver is not as likely to take it personally, feel hurt. They can handle it better. And another example of information would be um, learning that the average number of years that someone lives with Alzheimer's is about seven um, and so that caregiver who is t taking care of someone with Alzheimer's 
um, would want to prepare for a marathon. It's not two years, which is a whole different story. Two years maybe if someone's taking care of someone with cancer and the prognosis isn't good. That's a very different preparation. So the information gathering is to help the caregiver really prepare best for what they're doing so that they can do it the best way possible. So to be knowledgeable about the disease that your uh, loved one has is so critical because the journey's different. And then to use that giving marathon metaphor again, uh, it's like maybe stopping to walk a little bit before you start jogging and running again. <laughs> if, if you're not really intent on having to be the first uh, winning that marathon but to complete it, you say, you know, it's okay if I, if I walk a little bit. Absolutely, oh, and, then, and, and also maybe even looking at a map of the path before you're on it. Does it have hills? Yeah, Does it have some downs that are easier than the ups? That kind of thing. Yes, yes, exactly. Do you, for either one of you, do you advocate the caregivers um, that it's important to read ahead, in other words, gain information about what you what is to come, what, what may be coming, to ask the doctor, well, you know, in the progression of whatever disease it is that my loved one has, what is it that I need to arm myself with uh, so that in another year or two I will ha be up to date on the information I need for that leg of the marathon or the journey? Absolutely. Um, that's, what we, that's what we advise, yes. Yeah, to... to to just add to that, I, I would say that um, people have different uh, stress reactions, and sometimes when people get stressed and anxious, they want to know more information as much as they can possibly get their hands on, and then there are other folks who, when stressed and anxious, will want to know as little as they can get away with, uh, with knowing, um, and so we have to always be cognizant of what someone's style is. But you know, as you say, Marjorie, it's it, in, in general we want folks to uh, to be able to look at least a little bit down the road, because that enables them to better plan for uh, what, what may be coming, and to and to really prepare, um, maybe uh, logistically, but also emotionally for what, what may come. Great, thank you so much. Um, so in the countdown, number three. So Barry, what comes in at number three in terms of running this marathon and being successful? So, again, uh, you know, working with the marathon metaphor, I mean, when people are running alongside others, being, you know, feeling connected to them, being in this together, we are in this arduous uh, course of, of uh, you know, this journey together, then people feel uh that they can go on further and maybe better than they did before. Um, that that being connected um, really bu buoys all of us up and and, uh, and and gives us greater capabilities than we might otherwise have. And so the way I think about this with caregivers is not just simply helping others, but allowing others to help us and allow us to allowing others to share uh, the experience with us uh, gives us a, a sense of of, of being held, being contained, being comforted, um, much better than the, you know, the contrast, which would be people who feel like they're completely alone, uh, often uh, at, at their wit's end to know what to do. Um, so we want people to connect with others because they'll, they'll go further and farther and better. 
Um, how does uh, I have a friend who says that uh, in the world of spirituality, that 80% of people, even if they aren't religious or have any faith community, that when it comes to illness, that at least 80% of caregivers and their loved ones want some connection to spirituality. What has been your experience with that, either one of you? Uh, I mean, I, I certainly have seen that uh, over the years. I, I think that's um, very natural for many people to, to think about God, uh, to think about um, uh, their uh, place in the universe uh, at a time when everything is so seems so uncertain, and to try to grapple with the question of you know why are these bad things happening? I mean, they're, they, those are uh, sometimes uh, impossible questions to get a. Uh, a uh, sufficient answer, but um, we we try. We try to. Uh, that's all part of the meaning making process that that many people go through. Uh, and and sometimes you know folks are looking to some higher higher power to to step in and help them, and that and that provides them with comfort as comfort as well. I think with um, with regard to spirituality, there are plenty of caregivers who feel that. They're doing God's work, that it's meaningful what they're doing because it is what has been put in their path. It is the challenge that they are supposed to take up. And I do think that spirituality adds a lot of sense of um, depth of meaning to the to the mission of caregiving. So uh, coming in at number two is, uh, you alluded to this burial earlier, is receiving support, just beyond even connecting with others, receiving support. And I'm interested in your reactions to um, last month's show. I interviewed a woman named Dr. Mimi Hall, who does a lot of work of helping people build teams in the workplace. And so she has met a lot of caregivers as well. And one of her observations during the show is the difference in style that you mentioned earlier as well between men and women that women um, are more likely during the caregiving process to take care of the psychological emotional and nurturing aspects of caregiving while men are more likely not always but more likely to seek help particularly on daily tasks what are your responses to that Either one of you, uh, well, or both. In, in my experience, um, yes, men are less likely to share feelings um, or even get the emotional support that they need to do the caregiving um, that yeah. they want to do, but they will ask for help with tasks. I think it's easier to be task-focused, and maybe even in terms of caregiving, they're likely to be more task-focused and less emotionally connecting. But that's not, I don't want to make too much of a generalization, and not all women um, are getting emotional support while they're caregiving either. Um, I think to get through the journey, you need all kinds of support. You need help with tasks. You need emotional connection. And unfortunately, I think there are a lot of caregivers, male and female, who feel that they should be able to handle all of the caregiving tasks all by themselves. Um, and that asking for help can even feel a little bit like a failure, like they shouldn't need emotional support or they shouldn't need help with tasks. So 
um, those things are not true. Everybody needs help, and it's actually really good for us to give other people the opportunity to be helpful to us. Right. Well, I, I agree. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, I, I you know, in, you know, we are even us, uh, even us taciturn uh, and uh, um, individualistic men need others. Uh, and, you know, without my wife, I would be nothing. So that's the truth. Uh, but uh, I, I mean, I, I think that uh, uh, in caregiving, we we learn not just about caring for others, but we learn about um, how much we need to rely on others ourselves and. That's a that's a humbling lesson uh, that sometimes is difficult for folks to to accept, um, and we you know receiving care to me is often more of a challenge than uh, than giving care. Uh, giving care comes very naturally to folks. Um, receiving care feels very uncomfortable and disempowering, and uh, that would be true for either men or women. Yeah, great, great. Thank you. Yes, I know I had a difficult time in my caregiving to accept help. And um, so, yes, <laughs> that, that seems to be the bugaboo. But, you know, an, an answer that you gave, uh, Julie, was, you know, often it's the daily task, something really concrete, and somebody does that for you, and maybe that's the first thing that you let somebody else do. And then that can lead to all of these other things. That's sort of the gateway, if you will, sometimes for people, is to delegate a task to someone else. They do it They're like, oh, I could delegate more. I can ask for more. So thank you very much. All right, let's move on to number five. So, uh, Julie, you've noted that um, when I've spoken with you that really all five of these are critical for caregivers. But which one did you and Barry choose for number one in uh-huh. terms of getting this marathon? We need a drum roll. <laughs> Um, caring for yourself, <laughs> caring for yourself, because really self-care is the most important one because it is what sustains us in the entire caregiving process. If we know our limits, what we can do, what we can't do, what we won't do, if we manage our time, get enough sleep, see our own doctors when we're not feeling well or even just for checkup. If we care for ourselves and our health in particular, not just the care receiver's health, um, that keeps everything going. We can't keep caring for others if we're ill or overwhelmed. We have to do self-care in order to carry out the mission of caregiving. It's as simple as that. Um, what Are there certain uh, types of people who are able to think about this and, and accept this whole notion of self-care more than others? I think there are a lot of caregivers who actually find it tremendously difficult to do self-care. They put others first, um, and the caregiving that they're doing um, may require a lot of time and dedication, and sometimes caregivers run out of time time in the day, <laughs> you know, they don't even have enough time to do self-care. Um, and that's why it needs to be a priority, because otherwise time can go by, obligations, you know, fill up and chores, fill up the person's time. And I think in particular women 
frequently put others first, you know, starting with even raising children and their parents and their spouses, and certainly when they're caregiving, they can overfunction and they can put other people first really to their own detriment. So, yeah, I believe there are some people who can remember to do self-care, but I think in general it doesn't happen nearly enough. You know, when I was caregiving, I found that all, for all three, my mom, my dad, my husband, they would inadvertently, and I want to focus that's the key word, inadvertently, make me feel guilty, not always, but often if I went out to take a walk or went to a movie, and when I would come back from taking care of myself, whatever it was, it would be, oh, so happy to see you back, or, oh, you know, um, so-and-so didn't do it as well as you did it, right, while, mm-hmm. while you were gone. How can we cope? To me, that was the most difficult part, is coping with that. So how could I have gone about better reconciling that and realizing that was just a normal part of what my loved one was going to say and trying to make me feel good, they made me feel not so good? It's easy to feel guilty that we are not perfect caregivers when it's such an important task and we want to do it as well as we can possibly do it. So I think that you're right. It sounds like what your mother might have been trying to say was, I'm glad to see you because I love you and I want you back and I miss you when you're not here, which should be positive. And instead it brings up guilt, like, oh, I guess I shouldn't have taken that walk, or or, do I really need that walk? And because we think of caregiving as a marathon, the answer is yes, you need that walk. Because if you don't take that walk, you stop exercising, you stop getting your stress level down, and then you can't be the caregiver that you really want to be. So everything is a balancing act. We have to juggle. You know, sometimes some balls drop when we're juggling, and sometimes, you know, it doesn't feel so great. But ultimately, we're looking for a kind of balance where we, through our own self-care, we can continue taking care of our loved one to the best of our ability for as long as we want to do that. But that, that means a little bit of guilt or a little bit more understanding that no one else maybe does do it as well as you. But that's okay as long as it's good enough then you have some room to do some self-care. I love that notion of balance. That's, um, that's really good. You kind of you know, always know that's what you're trying to achieve, even though you don't always, aren't always successful. It's the balance part. Barry, any other comments from you about this? Uh, I, I think that one of the, the best ways that people could start with self-care is, is by identifying what, is actually replenishing for them. I mean, sometimes people get so wrapped up in the work that they have to do that they don't even take the time to think about what they what they would enjoy, let alone do what they enjoy. And so I, I often uh, ask caregivers, you know, what do you, what do you do for fun? And people look at me like I've, uh, you know, that I've asked a crazy <laughs> question because fun fun seems just so beyond, you know, beside the point when they're they're so immersed in what feels like this. Um, this tremendous struggle, and uh, without fun, without uh, you know an element of of, uh, of of joy and and amusement, you know, people, we can't get through this this world. Uh, let, you know, it, it's just too difficult. So, 
um, I, uh, you know, I ask a fun question all the time, and I would ask any, anyone who's a caregiver, and, and, you know, and ask your listeners to consider what 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 is fun for them. That that's, that is a great suggestion, and it seems so obvious. But sometimes it's those simple things that seem so obvious that are the hardest for us to answer. And so, to everybody out there listening today, um, what replenishes you? What is fun for you? And then go seek that often so that you can continue this marathon. So what haven't I asked, or is there something you've thought about today as we've done this countdown that you'd like to add before? That, you know, the show is we've only got five minutes here left. So anything else, I get, the time always goes so quickly when I'm talking to you guys. Anything else you'd like to add that I haven't asked? Well, I mean, I'll just add, and again, using the marathon metaphor, um, and, and this gets a little bit at the Julie's point about balance, uh, and that is, is, is pacing, that uh, we have to settle into to this role that we're now playing uh, with the long view, that, uh, you know, sometimes caregiving may, may uh, go on for a relatively brief period of time, weeks or months, but for most of us, it's going to go on for years, and that means we have to uh, take each day at a sustainable pace, uh, knowing that unless we care for ourselves, unless we conserve some energy, then then you know some weeks or some months from now we're not going to be able to go forward. So, the, the the good marathon runner knows that they have to go at the course with at a certain pace. They're not going to sprint it the whole way because they'd never make it to the end. And in order to, to sustain themselves, they they have to. Uh, keep the keep the right pace, and they have to replenish themselves at every water station, uh, and they have to, um, you know, make this uh, a race from which they can actually get from from start to finish and complete the mission that they've set for themselves, which is to to care for their loved one as well as they can. I would Perfect. add that that you that it's important to look for those moments of joy and gratitude while going through that marathon to sustain you as well, that if you have a laugh with your care receiver or there's something beautiful, you're, you see you know, nature, anything that feels replenishing and that makes you feel some joy and some gratitude is a major part of the self-care. Well, thank you both so much. Um, it's always such a pleasure to have you on your show, on, on the show, and tell us. Um, I'd like for you guys to mention blogs and books and you know websites or whatever. How can people find out more about you? In addition to the radio show archives that are on eCareDiary.com or MyCareGivingCoach.com. You go first, Joe. Um, you usually do that. <laughs> We all have right. a Facebook page for the book. I'll see that. There we go. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, we have a Facebook page for AARP uh, Meditations for Caregivers uh, that has our articles uh, related to our, our, our caregiver speaking engagements and uh, a little information about the book. Uh, I have uh, my own uh, website, you know, Facebook page, Dr. Barry J. Jacobs, that uh, has a number of, uh, of articles that I've written for ARP and um, uh, other other outlets, um, and then uh, you know we we do uh, uh, we often write for uh, for places like uh, the American Heart Association's uh, Patient Support Network and and uh, 
you know, occasionally now for Huffington Post. Uh, but there is a, um, you know, I, th- I think the f- Facebook is the best place to find us and connect with us. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you. Julie? Yeah, he he just listed everything. So it is the best well, we way did. to see what we're Cut doing. Cut it all in. Right. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, to our listeners, we thank you, of course, for tuning in. And um, these two folks really, in my estimation, provide such a wealth of information across the caregiving marathon. And so do check them on Facebook, on the, the book, Meditations, the AARP Meditations, and then all of these archives that we are building. And this show that we just did today will be archived in another 24 to 48 hours. Uh, do listen back. Encourage your friends to listen um, on ecarediary.com or mycaregivingcoach.com. And again, thank you to our two splendid guests, Dr. Barry Jacobs and Julie Mayer. Thank you for coming and being on the show. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks. It's been our pleasure. Thank you, Margie. Yeah. Take care, everyone, and have a wonderful rest of the day. Bye. 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 Bye.